Hi, I'm Dale Sherbeck, and welcome to the HQ, a CHA Learning and Healthcare Can podcast serial, where we dive into the healthcare issues and topics from the perspective of its people and discuss them with those that are leading in the health system. Together, we'll try to unpack these topics and learn what actions are being taken to innovatively solve them today. In this episode, we're going to cut to the issue facing healthcare today, what is being called our present day HHR crisis, the crisis of our health human resources, or in more simple terms, the crisis of the people in healthcare. It is a topic on the lips of those in government, including our federal and provincial ministers of health. It is top of mind for most healthcare organizations, and certainly for our health leaders and those that lead people. The headlines are everywhere, in every newspaper and on all our social media channels, including last week in the Hill Times, which read, there is no health without healthcare workers. It bears reminding that healthcare is a service industry. It's not a production line. It's not a thing we make or that Amazon can deliver. At its core, healthcare is people, people who care, people serving people who need care. People are the heart of what we do. As I speak, our healthcare workers, the people we depend on to care for us, are themselves in need of care. They are burnt out, demoralized, and exhausted. We know many are sick, and without intending to be hyperbolic, we also know some are mentally hurt, so mentally hurt that they have committed or attempted suicide. And many more are leaving in record numbers to the point that the province of Ontario just last week announced it will pay nurses a bonus to stay another six months. By all accounts, our current health system stands at the brink of collapse, or at the very least, most agree, it is unsustainable into the future. So let's discuss what is happening, and critically, how did we get here? And even more so, how do we build out of this crisis? To explore this topic, I'm very pleased to be joined by Andre Robichaud, CEO of Central Health in Newfoundland and Labrador. Andre has acquired extensive experience over the last two decades as a healthcare executive and board member in several organizations and in several provinces and regions at the same time. Andre also brings strategic planning and policy development experience as the former Associate Deputy of Minister for Francophone Services with the Government of New Brunswick. She has also chaired the Conference of Federal Provincial Deputy Ministers Advisory Committee on Health Delivery and Health Human Resources. So I think it is fair to say, if we really want to understand this HHR crisis, there are few better people to talk to than Andre Robichaud. So hi, Andre. Welcome to the HQ. Good morning, Dale. How are you? Good, thank you. How are you doing? Good, good. So Andre, you definitely bring a lot of knowledge and experience on the topic, and I'm certainly struck by the last part of my introduction related to your work with the Advisory Committee on Health Delivery and Health Human Resources. So I assume that based on that, that this isn't a new problem, is it? No, it isn't a new problem. I think, uh, as you state, as you stated, I've been in the business for a long time. Um, and when we look at our numbers, I think um, the World Health Organization estimates that by 2030, we will have a shortfall of 18 million healthcare workers. So uh, being one that on the on being a CEO that's on the eve of retirement, that concerns me even more because I'm going to be in need of care in the future. 
uh, I think are, um, I think one of the things in Canada that uh, we're, we're very big at is blaming who's responsible for it. I think that that's not the way we're going to uh, get out of this uh, shortage. Uh, I, I've um, had the privilege to work at the government level and at the RHA level and at the hospital level in Ontario. And we seem to have a habit of saying, you know, the province says it's the feds' uh, fault and the RHA seem to blame the provinces. And we seem to kind of, uh, and the, the um, unions and, and the professional associations, we're all kind of looking at each other and uh, I think that, that the solution is we need to be working together. So I think that um, I've been in the business for 36 years. And I remember when I first started, we had nurses were fighting for full-time jobs. I mean, we had casual pools in nursing that were uh, humongous. People uh, were looking for jobs. Um, and I think that as we went along, uh, we... Um, the more demands we've had on the system. So, you know, from a population health point of view, our demands are increasing. Uh, government have tried to meet those demands by increasing uh, the number of programs. If I look today, the number of programs every jurisdiction have in mental health compared to what they had 20 years ago, you can't compare either. And we've done this to meet the needs, but the supply on our HR, we haven't put a lot of work on that. All right. There's been sporadic work, no question. And I, I think that uh, everybody, uh, the unions have done uh, a, a, a lot of work. The professional associations have done a lot of work. Certain jurisdictions, like, uh, I look at uh, Health Workforce Ontario, they've done a lot of work. New Brunswick in the early 2000 had commissioned uh, um, an, a, a Fujitsu report that really identified the gaps in uh, um, and, and a forecasting model for, for HR. So, um, and when I chaired that advisory committee for the Council of Deputy Ministers, there was, a, I would say, a, a big conversation around an HR observatory for Canada, because if one jurisdiction, one jurisdiction cannot fix the problem. As we know, we move across our country and our professionals move across. It's got to be it's got to begin with a provincial uh, initiative and then roll into a national initiative. And it, the HR Observatory, I think, was a good idea. But after a while, it didn't become about what we did, but it became about the structure and the people and, and more of the entity than what it, it wanted to do. When we got into uh, a bit of a turf uh, um, uh, um, issue. So I believe that we've gotten here by not working together, I would say. I think there's a, a everybody recognizes and today in central health, I mean, I, I am in dire need of uh, physicians, nurses, especially family practice uh, physicians. And mm -hmm. I'm not the only one in that position. I mean, we've seen uh, Nova Scotia, they've had a huge issue, New Brunswick. Uh, these are, are huge issues. So over the years, <clears throat> I mean, we've seen perhaps it's it's uneven, I guess, across the country that, you know, Alberta might be needing more um, of some particular health profession while there's a surplus in Ontario or or vice versa. Or, I mean, is it 
is it different today in terms of what we're facing? Um, like, is this more unified in terms of our national crisis, I guess, or different than during different eras where it may have been more provincial? So I would say there's pre and post COVID. Mm -hmm. I think we had a problem pre COVID, but the people in the system weren't exhausted. All right. So now you have pre COVID, you had, you know, numerous vacancies and some recruitment issues. And then you took the people that you had that were working really hard and you worked them extremely hard. Right. And, because we had to. I mean, there was no way of, of seeing what was going to happen uh, uh, on a, a pandemic of that um, size. So, I mean, that had to happen. But when you have a workforce that's already very thin uh, and and you don't have the numbers, it, it's now we have a, a, a workforce that's very tired. I look at my people and I really feel for them, all right? And we're asking them to work overtime. We're asking them to cover... Uh, shifts. I've had to close some beds in order to ensure that, uh, and we're going into this summer, I want to be able to provide some some, some uh, meaningful uh, vacation for my staff. They've had two, three days here, two, three days there. But I mean, these people need good, you know, some, some good time off. So it, it's a huge issue, right? And people think, well, you know, it's only about uh, uh, bad planning. Well, it's also about the policy uh, um, uh, um, issues and the decisions that we've made in the past. One of the things that, you know, we don't realize, but in, in some of those rehab uh, positions, some of the, the credentialing has changed. So we mm -hmm. had degree-prepared degree uh, uh, professions that are now masters-prepared, right, in order to be able to practice. So it takes longer to bring them into the system? So it takes longer, right? It's when we went from a, a registered nurse to a, 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 a bachelor of nursing. I'm not saying that that was right or wrong. But what I'm saying is that when you make those policy decisions, it affects your supply. Mm -hmm. And those are the things that we need to develop a good forecasting model is that when you have policy decisions, that impact your supply, you need to put them into a forecasting model where you can see what's going to happen in the next 10 years. The other piece around, I think, our industry is that to, I, I go back to when I began in the workforce and we had a, a shortage of um, IT professionals, all right? And I remember that I was in HR back then when we used to give a bonus to recruit. Yeah. What happened is the market adjusted very fast. Within two to three years, they had produced, the, the, the schools had produced those professionals and, and that kind of dissipated and went away. It, it takes nine to 10 years to, to, to train a physician. So mm -hmm. you can't bounce back. It's when you realize that you got vacancies and that you really have a supply issue, you're under the gun in healthcare because it takes so long to, to, to develop and train those um, professionals. So I'm just, is there a is there a leading indicator, I guess, that would help predict some of those things that you know we well, should be focusing on, or? Yeah, so I, I truly believe that you need a, a, a as a as a country, we need to put our efforts towards 
uh, HR planning, and that is developing a forecasting model. And I think the forecasting model is not a big issue. We have a lot of mm -hmm. smart people in Canada and in New Brunswick in the early 2000s. They had this Fujitsu report where we had, I would say, if you look at it now, it was probably a, a, a rudimentary uh, forecasting model. But I mean, we were the only ones at the time. I, Lynn St. Pierre Ellis actually presented in Washington this model. That's how creative it was at the time. Mm -hmm. And I, I understand New Brunswick um, uh, updated it once or twice, but then it kind of sat on the on the shelf. But I think that every jurisdiction, and you know, I think that's a great role for healthcare can in terms of getting bringing the people together, getting uh, an understanding of what our supply and demand is, and then really having a roadmap on what we need. You know, in New Brunswick, I think when we when we did this, we realized the pharmacist was a big issue, right? So mm -hmm. I think that for the politicians, that really puts it in front of them, right? Because it, it becomes reality on what's going to happen in the next 10 years. All right. Now, the um, the challenge of, you know, a limited budget with a lot of demands, that won't change. But at least I think that if you have a good forecasting model, you can actually say, okay, we only have this amount of money. Let's go, let's establish the priorities where we want to increase seats, where we want to do things, right? And over, and, and it's interesting. One of the things that um, I think I should mention is in New Brunswick, and, and I speak to New Brunswick, I, I, I've worked in New Brunswick, Ontario, and Newfoundland, so I can only speak to what I know. But uh, when Linda Silas was the uh, president of the union, she introduced um, the program where nurses could actually uh, 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 come back and work and still uh, receive their pension. Mm -hmm. Those are, so that affected our supply in a positive way, right? So yeah. policy decisions can, be, can affect the, the supply issue on a positive way and on a negative way. But until we have a mechanism to be able to measure the impact that we will have on those decisions, service delivery model, we introduce nurse practitioners, all right, which again would affect the way you, your demand and who's treating the demand. So those are all the things that I think that, you know, we've had um, a system has made some great decisions, right? I mean, I've, I've been in the system for 30 years and it's uh, an industry that's been very difficult because we've had peaks and valleys, right? And yeah. we need we need to we need to be able to bring that to a, a, a level where we make decisions based on good data, and that's not there yet. So you've you raised a few things, and I, I I I might presume that I understand, but just maybe for some of our listeners who maybe don't. Um, I mean, some of what you've you've described is certainly has been done at a provincial level and you've been in three different provinces. So why is this a national issue? If if healthcare, you know, remains the jurisdiction of our provinces and territories um, to do their own forecasting in terms of their their modeling for what they need in terms of health human resources, why do this nationally? A very good uh, uh, um, when I look at right now, um, the impact that Nova Scotia is having, is having on Newfoundland on some of my recruitment issues, right? I mean, um, we are competing against each other. So 
what we need to be doing is putting in policy um, um, we need to be we need to be able to look at a country and say you know we're lacking x number of doctors for instance right and if we come up with a number and i would say primary care doctors are are uh are pre at a premium right now uh then the organizations have to uh, react like CARNS, right we need more resident seats in family practice so those are some of the things that if we want to be able to work with our our, uh, our professional associations and our um, unions, we need to have a, a bigger picture, all right? Because if someone is increasing their seats enormously, and then the next jurisdiction comes and robs them because they didn't know that they were going to have that uh, that issue, it defeats the purpose. Yeah, I, I, I sometimes sort of think of about about different people holding on to a big sort of balloon, right, and squeezing it and, right, and it sort of just, we see obviously one side of the balloon get bigger and then other parts sort of, and, and that, you know, that fundamentally we don't have enough resources potentially in the system and they just get being moved around within Canada. But I think what's happened, or at least what I hear is happening more during the pandemic is that there's... There, there's even fewer people, right? So that no, there's no ability to squeeze that and get enough resources into any one part of the system. Would that be correct? Yeah, because I look at, um, you know, my region, um, one of the biggest lifelines we had was locums, right? Well, during the pandemic, the locums weren't coming. They weren't traveling. You couldn't blame them, right? So that put us at a, a, a big disadvantage, right? And if we don't do this, I think the other big point is it can't always be about money, all right? Mm -hmm. And uh, when a jurisdiction sees one jurisdiction rising the, their uh, hourly rate or giving them bigger bonus, well, the, the answer to the next jurisdiction is to give more money, and it just keeps... That's because we don't have the accurate supply, right? So mm -hmm. we're competing with each other. If we put our money in training and developing... Uh, the the um, correct amount of professionals that we need, and we concentrate our our efforts there, we won't be competing with each other, which is what's happening now. Yeah, it's, I find it interesting as you're reflecting on what you're just saying. Um, I don't know if you're a baseball fan, but right with the the but with the the lockout ended right after. Um, right, all these teams in competition with each other for those, you know, people, and and they can blame each other for rising salaries, right? Because they're you're you know trying to track them, but then they're creating this this systemic challenge, right, in terms of the affordability of of, of how we we fund the system. So, um, so I mean, why haven't we fixed this in the past, Andre? I mean, with a, and a, and a cognizant of your your point at the beginning about not blaming or who hasn't done what, but collectively, why are why are we here and why haven't we done something about it if this isn't a new problem? So I would think I would say, and and a lot of people may not agree with me. All right, but I've been in this business thirty six years, and when I started in this business. You never heard about engagement. You never heard about patient-family-centered care. I think that we have evolved and realized that governments can't do it alone. 
RHAs can't do it alone. Professional associations can't keep uh, do it alone, and neither can the unions. I believe we need to sit around a table, be able to sit around a table, and um, work together to come to a, um, a forecasting model that will actually represent our industry. All right. So I've seen numbers like from uh, some of our uh, our unions. And I've also heard commenting, oh, yeah, but that's the unions. Those numbers are inflated, right? Those are some of the comments that come back and forth. That has to stop, right? You need to have all the parties sitting around the table and uh, agreeing on how we move this forward. I always go back to um, Char Dr. Charles Bolin uh, from the World Health o uh, Organization that says it takes five parties to, to make change. It takes five partners to make change in healthcare. Your policymakers, your health administrators, your education facilities, your uh, community, and your um, health professionals. If you can bring those five together, all right, then you will have, you can make change and you can advance. Now, I've had opportunities in other areas to use that model. We use it for strategic planning where we bring these partners together and come to an agreement. And the implementation goes very well. So I think if we can kind of find a model where we bring people at the table and we get them uh, uh, agreeing on certain principles, we can move to an HR planning uh, uh, model that will uh, support our industry. Because at the, other, at the end of the day, it's not about supporting anybody else but the patient. Right? And when I started this podcast, I said to you, I'm worried about the future because I'm worried about my care. Not as a not as a CEO of an RHA. I'm worried that when I do need care and I get older, which is happening very fast, I find <laughs> I'm going to need care, and I need to know that when I uh, walk up the street here to the hospital, that there'll be somebody to care for me, and somebody that's not burnt out. All right, and we know what happens to um, patient safety when our professionals are are very tired. So it, we really need to do something. And I think that blame is, it shouldn't be part of our conversation. It's about how do we do it as partners in, in this industry? Yeah. So, I mean, part of what I guess what I'm hearing from you as well is also, I guess, parking some of our individual agendas, right. And, and coming together um, with a collective sort of desire or will to, to work on this. Uh, so, I mean, even describing those five parties that you would say that need to be at, at a table, I would imagine that's easier, maybe not easy, but easier to facilitate at um, at a provincial level. How do you do that, you know, with 13 different jurisdictions? I think once you've had it, once you've been able to develop a good model, and it, it's that your model needs to be able to adapt to the, to, to the different jurisdictions. I think if the provinces are uh, work within their province to develop the forecasting model, but mm -hmm. on a national level, everybody's kind of aware of what's happening, then you take the data and roll it up into one model. I don't, I don't think that that's a huge endeavor because every jurisdiction has different policy leaders, right? They make different right. decisions. So uh, Newfoundland might need more nurse practitioners than... Ontario, oh, that's a, not a good example, but 
an example, right? So when you bring this at a national level, all right, you're going to have a bigger picture on, you know, Canada needs to produce nurse practitioners. And some of the schools, like New Brunswick, uh, you know, we depend on Dow and on Sherbrooke for our, 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 our physicians. We depend on Quebec and Nova Scotia for our pharmacists. We, we don't train them, right? So New Brunswick, that's why it needs to go up because then Quebec and, and Nova Scotia needs to respond to some of our needs and we need to be able to demonstrate those needs. So is there anything else that's missing, I guess, from us being able to do this, Andre? Um... Well, I think there are, you know, there are uh, organizations like yours that um, could take the lead, uh, that you need to bring the, the, the governments into the fold. Uh, mm-hmm. I think that um, it would be great to see um, one of our premiers take the lead around advocating for that or one of our ministers of health, all right, and to kind of, there needs someone to step up and say, okay, this needs to be done, all right? Um, I think that advocacy from your organization will uh, will definitely kind of uh, uh, help. But um, we, we're an industry that is too important to keep reacting. Mm-hmm. We need to get on the other side of reacting and we need to be planning to be able to be proactive on what's going to happen in the industry. I mean, pandemic is one thing you can't plan on that, but we were not in good shape before the pandemic. I'm going to ask you a question, which you may not be able to answer or may not even want to answer. Um, but, <laughs> um, you know, is there, is there something wrong with the way our health system is funded or is conceived even that is causing some of this these these problems so our demands are growing we our population is not um we have a sick population right and our demand is growing and we don't um i i believe and and I have a different perspective, I think, because I worked in government so for, for mm-hmm. quite a while. And, you know, it was a privilege for me to be able to influence government policy. As a bureaucrat, I, I think there's so much value. It's so important to be able to provide the government of the day with good evidence-based recommendations. So I think that's number one. Now being in the trenches, all right, um, I see the need a lot closer. And there are a lot of decisions, all right, or recommendations that as a bureaucrat, all right, I would have never made to government had I been in the system, all right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Hence, hence the importance, I believe, for having people going back and forth. And I commend Ontario for that because a lot of their deputy ministers, Bob Bell, and now Catherine Zahn, are all people from the system, right? They can actually provide advice that they've seen uh, in the trenches. So to me, that is very important. In other jurisdictions, you don't see that very much, and that's very important. But, you know, we uh, it's a system that's very expensive, and um, it's an emotional system, right? It's an emotional service, all right? You're dealing with life and death, and sometimes... I believe our system was focused 
too focused on professionals and not focused on the patients, all right? So in terms of patient uh, family-centered care, I learned a lot in Ontario, all right? And it is about the patient. And I think that I, I see Newfoundland has risen and is doing a lot of work on that issue. I mean, I have a, a patient that sits on my senior team and she doesn't, she's not very shy to tell me, whoa, 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 this is, you're focused on the wrong thing. It has to be about the patient. So I, I think that we have a long ways to go in, in, in uh, managing the system, but we can't be everything to everybody. And, you know, those are hard decisions that will have to be made because, I mean, you know, there's not an infinite uh, a pot of money here, right? Mm -hmm. And, you know, how we deliver services, I think that um, um, COVID have brought, you and I wouldn't be speaking on the computer today if it wasn't for COVID, right? Providing yeah. vir virtual care, all right? Now, a lot of people are going to say, yeah, well, virtual care is not the best. I think virtual care has a lot of value on follow-up. You know, there's a lot of ways in in uh, regions that are uh, isolated, all right? So there's a lot to be done with virtual care. And I think that, you know, the system, because of necessity again, and of crisis, all right, uh, we've developed these teams. Doctors are, are uh, providing services. My physician in New Brunswick provides services through telephone not even through video. And I'm very satisfied with the service. When I need to go see him, I go see him. But otherwise, he d does his follow-up. When I go for blood tests, he calls me, gives me my results, provides me with information on what I should change. It's an excellent service, right? Provides him with more time also to, to see more patients. So I think there are good things, but I do believe that there are hard decisions to be made in the future, all right? Uh, and... Um, it's going to be, I think, and I think that having a good HR plan will support and help us make those decisions because it's about the resources, right? And, you know, over 80% of, of our spend is on people in healthcare. It's, it's not about gadgets, right? I mean, they're important, but it's about the people. Yeah, I guess. So what I'm, I mean, hearing one is, is referencing the importance around the patient-centered care aspect. Of, it's around accountability. Um, and and the other is, you know, yeah, we do have limited resources. So then, we, you know, it puts more emphasis on the need to plan so that we're using them most effectively. Uh, and perhaps even, you know, checking ourselves in terms of our values, in terms of how we deploy those resources, um, you know, coming back to sort of the the aphorism that, you know, perfection is the enemy of good, right? So, um, um, so yeah, I mean, in my own experience, having, you know, virtual consults with, with a physician, it, it, it works. Um, it may be not the best way to develop a relationship. I know that in terms of our, you know, running a business in, in this context, right? It's hard to, to forge new relationships um, virtually, but it's easier to maintain relationships you already have um, in a virtual sort of space. So um, there, there has to be a balance in that, I, I'm sure. But uh, but using technology certainly is a, is going to be an important tool in our toolbox. Um, maybe just sort of as a as a follow up question, and in, in some of this as well, in terms of our demographics, right? We hear certainly discussions about that um, about the. Right, the the baby boomers, um, right, and the the 
the great resignation that's ahead of us in terms of people taking retirement um, and and the impact that the pandemic has has had on those choices. Um, what would be your perspective or comments on that? Well, you know, I'm over retirement age and I'm still working because I want to, right? So although, you know, we can have a, a, a very pessimistic view, a lot of people are working beyond 60 now, right? Uh, and enjoying themselves. I'm one of them, right? I love, I love the business. I, 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 um, I always want to make it, uh, uh, an impact or, uh, um, and, and I think that, you know, a lot of people are tired. Uh, and a lot of people uh, have gone through, you know, in the bigger jurisdictions where those ICUs were full and, and then, you know, I, I look at the, the Scarborough Health Network, which was, uh, you know, I was there for uh, two years and, you know, they went through a lot um, and they had a good team. I can say that because it's part of my team, but, you know, I think people need to, we need to be able to give our people a rest some vacation, some time off, right? Mm -hmm. And I think that when you're going through the crisis you're and you're 60 years old, you say, oh my God, you know, this is it. I'm going to retire, right? But when you have a little bit of time and, and, and you can kind of, you know, take some, some time off and rest, I think we'll see people come back. And even if it's coming back part-time, all right? Um, so I, I think that... Um, that's one thing. The other thing is, is that, you know, when I started in the system, LPNs couldn't give medication. All right. Today they can. So I think scopes of practice are going to expand. All right. So out of challenges come innovation and opportunities. All right. So uh, I think that we're going to see um the professions change. Like we we see our pharmacists now in the last few years do a lot more than they could. Jurisdictions are, you know, they can renew your prescriptions. They can do a lot of things. And, you know, some jurisdictions are, excuse me, are more advanced than others. All right. So we're going to see, uh, I think, a movement in that way for uh, our professionals to, to, uh, expand their scope of practice. And I think that's a good thing because, you know, if there's one thing that I can say is that we train really great professionals. All right. Mm -hmm. We have really good uh, education programs in Canada. So I think that uh, that is a big plus for us. All right. We need to train more and we need to train different. All right. Uh, our bedside uh, people um, need to, to be people that want to stay at the bedside, right? And we need to really focus on where our needs are. Again, I'm coming back to our plan. But where are our big gaps, all right? And maybe we need new kinds of professionals, right? We, should, we shouldn't be limited, limited by what we have now. Are there other types of professionals that we need, right? And, and in other... In other countries, they deliver differently, right? I know that, um, for instance, in, in rehab, all right, some of the, the rehab professionals, they ha can have up to 12 rehab assistants supporting them, all right? They do the care plan, and it's de delivered through assistance, right? So 
there, there are different ways, and you can train rehab assistants quicker than you can rehab professionals. Mm-hmm. So I, I think we need an open mind on, on, on how we, are, we deliver our services, and we need to input that in our forecasting model and say, if we do do this, what happens here, right? That's the tool we're missing. And I think yeah, that- I was, yeah, I was going to ask whether that your, the, your discussions about the workforce planning and the forecasting modeling would include a discussion about what professions we need, um, discussions about scope of practice, um, and, and, and perhaps I think, as you say, what's missing in terms of those professions, um, sort of the, the, you know, to fill the gaps. Because I, I am struck by, I mean, I've heard several people in the last, you know, couple of months reference scope of practice and, and, and more specifically, um, you know, inviting us to sort of think about how to get people to, to, to work to their full scope of practice or at the top of their scope of practice. Could you sort of explain what that means and, and how does that help in this in this crisis and helping us out of it? So let's let's use pharmacists. I think pharmacists is a good example. Um, and I I can use an example. So um, in my transition from Newfoundland to New Brunswick, um, I needed a renewal on my blood pressure medication. All right. Mm-hmm. Didn't didn't have a physician, right? And the last place you want to go in the middle of a pandemic is in a, into an ER. All right. So I was in a pickle. All right. Had this been 15 years ago, I was in a big pickle. I would have had to go to the ER and and uh, wait there. But I called my pharmacist and I said, look, I have a prescription here. Went in, showed her my bottle, showed her my circumstances. She said, I'll extend it for 30 days while you find uh, another avenue. Right. Mm-hmm. Well, 15, 20 years ago, that wouldn't have been possible. All right. So those were pharmacists that are the experts in pharmacology. All right. But we, we wouldn't let them do that. All right. I think that's a prime example. All right. Of releasing these provision, these professionals and permitting them to do more within their scope of practice. Right. And the, I guess the, and the, the corollary to or consequence of that, right, is that it frees up the time of the family physician or the ER doctor, right, to do things that are at their higher end of their scope of practice, diagnosing or treating and not filling out scripts, right? Absolutely. 20 years ago, we'd never heard of nurse practitioners in, in Canada, right? And maybe 30, I'm showing my age here. <laughs> but you go on the... Uh, uh, coast of uh, you go to Cape Cod and every nurse practitioner you see shingles just like a physician's office you see nurse practitioners offices right mm-hmm. so we we still have a way, long ways to go with nurse practitioners right and, and providing them support to, to work in community like our physicians do right now again this will be you know, a lot of people will support what I said, and a lot of people won't like what I said, right? But it can't be about, it can't be territorial anymore, right? It's got to be about how do we service the patient, and all right? And who can service the patient? And our demand is so high right now from a primary care point of view that, you know, we're going to have to look at that and say, okay, who can get out there and provide us with some services? 
So maybe just one final question then before we close off, uh, Andre, and I've really appreciated your your insights and, and, and assistance and helping to understand the issues here. I mean, I don't see you with any sort of wings or halo or anything like that, no magic wand sort of being able to sort of cast a spell and, and, and bring us out of this. So how long is it going to take for us to come out of this? Um, and is there anything you know, from a short-term perspective that we can do or need to do um, to facilitate that? So I wish I did have a, a halo or a, a crystal ball that would tell me, look, I've been in this business for 36 years and we've had multiple crises and we always came out. So that's the positive side of all of this, right? Um, I think that the only thing that's going to get us out of this is for us to stop blaming each other, all right, and come together and say, okay, agree on what needs to be done and do it, all right? And I think the, the one of the partners that I didn't talk about is, are the universities, right? The universities, the, the community colleges the, um, that, that uh, need to come to the table also, and we really need to look at this together. And... And you are right, Dale. It has to come at the, it has to start at the provincial level, but there needs to be a national link among all. Mm -hmm. So once everybody's done their work, we can actually have a picture of, of Canada. I mean, Kai High has some good information. Kai has done a great job, right? Like not forget Kai High, but they're pockets of information, right? It's about um, having an integrated way of defining the resources that we need because remember the this isn't about making widgets and it's not about i mean uh, technology will help us in many ways but we're dealing with people and we need mm -hmm. people to deliver services so our efforts have to be about hr is the most important thing in, in healthcare so we need to have a good planning uh mechanism and we really need to concentrate on how do we move this forward? A lot of people will say, oh yeah, no, no. Like we know, just increase the seats and that will be done. That's not how you plan, all right? And there are multiple policy decisions that can be made that will increase our supply. So when we talked about some of that scope of practice, all of those decisions become part of a forecasting model. Well, I think that's a, a great place for us to sort of close off the conversation, Andre. Certainly, I think with a you know certainly instructions or advice in terms of our need for collaboration and coming together, and and um, you know, I, and and I think the optimism that we do have people who with, with the knowledge and and the abilities to sort of help us through this. Um, but again, without getting into overused metaphors, but get them all in the same boat, rowing in the same direction, perhaps for a change, um, and then uh, you know. We, we do we can survive this again and I, I appreciate you sharing your uh, your historical knowledge and like I said your wisdom in helping us to, uh, to better understand this crisis so that we can work together towards that so thank you very much for for sharing your time with us today um, and wish you very well and uh, and thanks for continuing to serve um, your community and, and us uh, and and, uh, and not retiring yet so Thank you very much, Dale. It was a pleasure. Thank you. Take care. Thank you. You've been listening to The HQ, and I'm Dale Sherbeck, your host. 
You can find this and other future episodes on the CHA Learning website, Apple Podcast, or Spotify. We'd love to hear what you think, so please follow us on our other social media channels. Thanks for joining us in this discussion today. Please join us next time.